Section 10 of Adventures of a New Year's Eve, Parts 10 through 14, by Heinrich Schock, from Tales by Heinrich Schock, translated by Park Godwin. Stories by Foreign Authors, German Authors, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joseph Jones. Stories by Foreign Authors, German Authors, Volume 1, by Various. Section 10. In the dancing hall next to the card room, Philip had looked at his watch, and discovered that the time of his appointment with Rose at St. Gregory's had nearly come. He was by no means sorry at the prospect of giving back his silk mantle and plumed bonnet for his substitute, for he began to find high life not quite to his taste. As he was going to the door, the negro once more came up to him and whispered, "'Your Highness, Duke Herman has been seeking for you everywhere.' Philip shook his head impatiently and hurried out, followed by the negro. When they got to the antechamber, the negro cried out, by heaven, here comes the duke, and slipped back into the hall. A tall black mask walked fiercely up to Philip and said, Stay a moment, sir. I've a word or two to say to you. I've been seeking you for long. Quick then, said Philip, for I have no time to lose. I would not waste a moment, sir. I have sought you long enough. You owe me satisfaction. You have injured me infamously. Not that I am aware of. You do not know me, perhaps, said the duke, lifting up his mask. Now that you see me, your conscience will save me any more words. I demand satisfaction. You and the cursed Salmoni have deceived me. I know nothing about it, said Philip. You got up that shameful scene in the cellar of the baker's daughter. It was at your instigation that Colonel Colt made an assault upon me with a cudgel. There's not a word of truth in what you say. What? You deny it? The Lady Blakensward, the Marshal's lady, was an eyewitness of it all, and she has told me every circumstance. She has told your grace a fancy tale. I have had nothing to do with it. If you made an ass of yourself in the baker's cellar, that was your own fault. I ask, once more, will you give me satisfaction? If not, I will expose you. Follow me instantly to the king. You shall either fight with me, or go to his majesty. Philip was nonplussed. Your grace, he said, I have no wish either to fight with you or to go to the king. This was indeed the truth, for he was afraid he should be obliged to unmask, and would be punished, of course, for the part he had played. He therefore tried to get off by every means, and watched the door to seize a favorable moment for effecting his escape. The duke, on the other hand, observed the uneasiness of the prince, as he thought him, and waxed more valorous every minute. At last he seized poor Philip by the arm, and was dragging him into the hall. "'What do you want with me?' said Philip, sorely frightened, and shook off the duke. "'To the king! He shall hear how shamefully you insult a guest at his court!' "'Very good,' replied Philip, who saw no hope of escape except by continuing the character of the prince. Very good. Come, then. I am ready. By good luck, I happen to have the agreement with me between you and the baker's daughter, in which you promise— Nonsense! Stuff! answered the duke. That was only a piece of fun, which may be allowed surely with a baker's daughter. Show it, if you like. I will explain all that. But it happened that the duke was not quite so sure of the explanation, for he no longer urged Philip to go before the king. He, however, insisted more earnestly than ever on getting into his carriage, and going that moment, heaven knows where to decide the matter with sword and pistol, an arrangement which did not suit our watchman at all. Philip pointed out the danger and consequences of such a proceeding, but the duke overruled all objections. He had made every preparation, and when it was over he would leave the city that same night. "'If you are not the greatest coward in Europe, you will follow me to the carriage, prince.' "'I am no prince,' at last stuttered Philip, now driven to extremities. "'You are!' Everybody recognized you at the ball. I know you by your hat. You shan't escape me. Philip lifted up his mask and showed the duke his face. Now then, am I a prince? 
Duke Herman, when he saw the countenance of a man he had never seen before, started back, and stood gazing as if he had been petrified. To have revealed his secrets to a perfect stranger! "'Twas horrible beyond conception! But before he had recovered from his surprise, Philip had opened the door and effected his escape. Part Eleven. The moment he found himself at liberty, he took off his hat and feathers, and wrapping them in his silk mantle, rushed through the streets toward St. Gregory's, carrying them under his arm. There stood Rose already, in a corner of the high church door, expecting his arrival. "'Ah, Philip, dear Philip,' she said, pressing his hand, "'how happy you have made me! How lucky we are! I was very uneasy to get away from my friend's house, and I've been waiting here this quarter of an hour, but never cared for the frost and snow. My happiness was so great. I am so glad you're back.' And I, too, dear Rose, thank God that I've got back to you. May the eagles fly away with these trinkum trankums of great people. But I'll tell you some other time of the scenes I've had. Tell me now, my darling, how you are and whether you love me still. Ah, Philip, you've become a great man now, and it would be better to ask you if you still care anything for me. Thunder! How came you to know so soon that I've been a great man? Why, you told me yourself. Ah, Philip, Philip, I only hope you won't be proud now that you've grown so rich. I am but a poor girl, and not good enough for you now, and I have been thinking, Philip, if you forsake me, I would rather have had you continue a poor gardener. I should fret myself to death if you forsook me. What are you talking about, Rose? Tis true that for one half hour I have been a prince. Twas but a joke, and I want no more of such jokes in my life. Now I am a watchman again, and as poor as ever. To be sure, I have five thousand dollars in my pocket that I got from a mameluke. That would make us rich, but, unfortunately, they don't belong to me. "'You're speaking nonsense, Philip,' said Rose, giving him the purse of gold that the prince had given her. "'Here, take back your money. Tis too heavy for my bag.' "'What should I do with all this gold? Where did you get it, Rose?' "'You won it in the lottery, Philip.' "'What? And have I won? And they told me at the office my number was not yet out. I had hoped and wished that it might come to give us a setting up in the world. But Gardener Redmond said to me as I went a second time towards the office, "'Poor Philip, a blank. Huzzah! I've won!' I'll buy a large garden and marry you. How much is it? Are you crazy, Philip, or have you drunk too much? You must know better than I can tell you how much it is. I only looked at it quietly under the table at my friends, and I was too frightened to see so many glittering coins. All of gold, Philip. Ah, then I thought, no wonder Philip was so impertinent, for you know you are very impertinent, Philip. But I can't blame you for it. Oh, I could throw my arms round your neck and cry for joy. "'Rose, if you will do it, I shall make no objections, but there's some misunderstanding here. "'Who was it that gave you this money and told you it was my prize in the lottery? "'I have my ticket safe in my drawer at home, and nobody has asked me for it.' "'Ah, Philip, don't play your jokes on me. "'You yourself told me it half an hour ago, and gave me the purse with your own hand. "'Rose, try to collect yourself. "'This morning I saw you at Mass, and we agreed to meet here tonight. "'But since that time I have not seen you for an instant.' No, except half an hour ago, when I saw you at Steinman's door. But what is that bundle under your arm? Why are you without a hat this cold night? Philip, Philip, be careful. All that gold may turn your brain. You've been in some tavern, Philip, and have drunk more than you should. But tell me, what is in the bundle? Why, here's a woman's silk gown. Philip, Philip, where have you been? Certainly not with you half an hour ago. You want to play tricks on me, I fancy. Where have you got that money, I should like to know? Answer me first, Philip. Where have you got that woman's gown? Where have you been, sir? They were both impatient for explanations, both a little jealous, and finally began to quarrel. Part Twelve. But as this was a lover's quarrel, it ended as lovers' quarrels invariably do. 
when rose took out her white pocket handkerchief and put it to her beautiful eyes and turned away her head as the sighs burst forth from her breast this sole argument proved instantly that she was in the right and philip decidedly in the wrong he confessed he was to blame for everything and told her that he had been at a masked ball and that his bundle was not a silk gown but a man's mantle and a hat and feathers and now he had to undergo a rigid examination every maiden knows that a masked ball is a dangerous maze for unprotected hearts it is like plunging into a whelming sea of dangers and you will be drowned if you are not a good swimmer rose did not consider philip the best swimmer in the world it is difficult to say why he denied having danced but when she asked him he could not deny having talked with some feminine masks he related the whole story to her yet would constantly add the ladies were of high rank and they took me for another rose doubted him a little but she suppressed her resentment till he said they took him for prince julian then she shook her little head and still more when she heard that prince julian was transformed into a watchman while philip was at the ball but he smothered her doubts by saying that in a few minutes the prince would appear at st gregory's church and exchange his watch coat for the mask rose in return related all her adventure but when she came to the incident of the kiss hold there cried philip i didn't kiss you nor i am sure did you kiss me in return i'm sure twas intended for you then replied rose whilst her lover rubbed his hair down for fear it should stand on end if twas not you continued rose anxiously i will believe all that you have been telling me but as she went on with her story a light seemed to break in on her and she exclaimed and after all i do not believe it was prince julian in your coat philip was certain it was and cried the rascal he stole my kisses now i understand that's the reason why he wanted to take my place and give me his mask and now the stories he had heard at the masquerade came into philip's head he asked if anybody had called at her mother's to offer her money if any gentleman was much about milk street if she saw anyone watching her at church but to all his questions her answers were so satisfactory that it was impossible to doubt her total ignorance of all the machinations of the rascally courtiers he warned her against all the advances of philanthropical and the compassionate princes and rose warned him against the dangers of a masked ball and adventures with ladies of rank by which many young men had been made unhappy and as everything was now forgiven in consideration of the kiss not being wilfully bestowed he was on the point of claiming for himself the one which he had been cheated when his designs were interrupted by an unexpected incident a man out of breath with his rapid flight rushed against them by the greatcoat staff and horn philip recognized his deputy he on the other hand snatched out the silk cloak and hat ah sir said philip here are your things i would not change places with you again in this world i should be no gainer by the operation quick quick cried the prince and threw the watchman's apparel on the snow and fastened on his mask hat and cloak philip returned to his old beaver and coat and took up the lantern and staff rose had shrunk back into the door i promised thee a dole comrade but it's a positive fact i have not got my purse i've got it here said philip and held it out to him you gave it to my intended there but please your highness i must forbid all presents in that quarter comrade keep what you've got and be off as quick as you can you're not safe here the prince was flying off as he spoke but philip held him by the mantle one thing my lord we have to settle run watchman i tell you they're in search of you i have nothing to run for but your purse here keep it i tell you fly if you can run and a billet of marshal blankenswerd's for five thousand dollars ha what the plague do you know about marshal blankenswerd he said it was a gambling debt he owed you he and his lady start to-night for their estates in poland are you mad how do you know that who gave you the message for me 
and your highness, the minister of finance, will pay all your debts to Abraham Levi and others if you will use your influence with the king to keep him in office. Watchman, you've been tampering with old Nick. But I rejected the offer. You rejected the offer of the minister? Yes, your highness, and moreover, I have entirely reconciled the Baroness Benau and the Chamberlain Pilzau. Which of us two is a fool? Another thing, your highness. Signora Rolina is a bad woman. I have heard of some love affairs of hers. You are deceived. I therefore thought her not worthy of your attentions, and put off the meeting tonight at her house. Signora Rolina, how did you come to hear of her? Another thing. Duke Herman is terribly enraged about that business in the cellar. He is going to complain of you to the king. The duke? Who told you that? Himself. You are not secure yet. But I don't think he'll go to the king, for I threatened him with his agreement with the baker's daughter. But he wants to fight you. Be on your guard. Once and for all, do you know how the duke was informed of all of this? Through the marshal's wife. She told all, and confessed she had acted the witch in the ghost-raising. The prince took Philip by the arm. My good fellow, he said, you are no watchman. He turned his face towards the lamp, and started when he saw the face of this strange man. Are you possessed by Satan, or who are you? said Julian, who had now become quite sober. I am Philip Stark, the gardener, son of old Gottlieb Stark, the watchman, said Philip quietly. Part thirteen. Lay hold of him, that's the man, cried many voices, and Philip, Rose, and Julian saw themselves surrounded by six lusty servants of the police. Rose screamed, Philip took her hand, and told her not to be alarmed. The prince clapped his hand on Philip's shoulder. "'Tis a stupid business,' he said, "'and you should have escaped when I told you. But don't be frightened. There shall no harm befall you.' "'That's to be seen,' said one of the captors. "'In the meantime, he must come along with us.' "'Where to?' inquired Philip. "'I am doing my duty. I am a watchman on this beat.' "'That is the reason we take you. Come.' The prince stepped forward. Let the man go, good people, he said, and searched in his pockets for his purse. As he found it nowhere, he was going to whisper to Philip to give it to him, but the police tore them apart, and one of them shouted, On! We can't stop here. The masked fellow must go with us too. He is suspicious-looking. Not so, exclaimed Philip. You are in search of the watchman. Here I am, if you choose to answer for taking me from my duty, but let this gentleman go. We don't want any lessons from you in our duty, replied the sergeant. March, all of them. The damsel too, asked Philip. You don't want her, surely? No, she may go, but we must see her face and take down her name and residence. It may be of use. She is the daughter of Widow Bittner, said Philip, and was not a little enraged when the whole party took Rose to a lamp and gazed on her tearful face. Go home, Rose, and don't be alarmed on my account, said Philip, trying to comfort her. My conscience is clear. But Rose sobbed so as to move even the policeman to pity her. The prince, availing himself of the opportunity, attempted to spring out of his captor's hands, but one of the men was a better jumper than he, and put an obstacle in his way. Hello, cried the sergeant. This conscience is not quite so clear. Hold him firm. March. Whither? said the prince. Directly to the minister of police. Listen, said the prince, seriously but affably, for he did not like the turn affairs were taking, as he was anxious to keep his watchman frolic concealed. I have nothing to do with this business. I belong to the court. If you venture to force me to go with you, you will be sorry for it when you are feasting on bread and water tomorrow in prison. For heaven's sake, let the gentleman go, cried Philip. I give you my word he is a great lord, and will make you repent your conduct. He is— Hush, be silent, interrupted Julian. Tell no human being who I am. Whatever happens, keep my name a secret, do you hear? An entire secret from everyone. We do our duty, said the sergeant, and nobody can punish us for that. You may go to prison yourself. We have often had fellows speak as high and threaten as fiercely. 
forward men take advice he is a distinguished man at court if it were the king himself he should go with us he is a suspicious character and we must do our duty while the contest about the prince went on a carriage with eight horses and outriders bearing flambeaux drove past the church stop cried a voice from the carriage as it was passing the crowd of policemen who had the prince in custody the carriage stopped the door flew open and a gentleman with a brilliant star on the breast of his surtout leaped out he pushed through the party and examined the prince from head to foot i thought he said i knew the bird by its feathers mask who are you julian was taken by surprise for in the inquirer he recognized duke herman answer me roared herman in a voice of thunder julian shook his head and made signs to the duke to desist but he pressed the question upon him being determined to know who it was he had accosted at the masquerade he asked the policemen. They stood with heads uncovered, and told him they had orders to bring the watchman instantly before the minister of police, for he had been singing wicked verses. They had heard some of them, that the mask had given himself as some great lord of the court, but that they believed that to be a false pretense, and therefore considered it their duty to take him into custody. The man is not of the court, answered the duke. Take my word for that. He himself clandestinely into the ball, and himself off for Prince Julian. I forced him to unmask, and detected the impostor but he escaped me. I have informed the Lord Chamberlain. Off with him to the palace. You have made a fine prize. With these words, the Duke strode back to his carriage, and once more, urging them not to let the villains escape, gave orders to drive on. The prince saw no chance left. To reveal himself now would to make his night adventures to talk of the whole city. He thought it better to disclose his incognito to the Chamberlain or the Minister of Police. Since it must be so, come on, then he said, and the party marched forward, keeping a firm hand on the two prisoners. Part 14 Philip was not sure whether he was bewitched, or whether the whole business was not a dream, for it was a night such as he had never passed before in his life. He had nothing to blame himself for, except that he had changed clothes with the prince, and then, whether he would or no, been forced to support his character. He felt pretty safe, for it was the princely watchman who had been at fault, and he saw no occasion for his being committed. His heart beat, however, when they came to the palace. His coat, horn, and staff were taken from him. Julian spoke a few words to the young nobleman, and immediately the police were sent away. The prince ascended the stairs, and Philip had to follow. "'Fear nothing,' said Julian, and left him. Philip was taken to a little anteroom, where, where he had to wait a good while. At last one of the royal grooms came to him, and said, "'Come this way. The king will see you.' Philip was distracted with fear. His knees shook so that he could hardly walk. He was led into a splendid chamber. The old king was sitting at a table, and laughing long and loud. Near him stood Prince Julian without a mask. Besides these, there was nobody in the room. The king looked at Philip with a good-humored expression. "'Tell me all, without missing a syllable, that you have done tonight.' Philip took courage from the conversation of the old king, and told the whole story from beginning to end. He had the good sense, however, to conceal all he had heard among the courtiers that could turn to the prejudice of the prince. The king laughed again and again, and at last took two gold pieces from his pocket and gave them to Philip. "'Here, my son, take these, but say not a word of your night's adventures. Await your trial. No harm shall come of it to you. Now go, my friend, and remember what I have told you.' Philip knelt down at the king's feet and kissed his hand as he stammered some words of thanks. When he arose and was leaving the room, Prince Julian said, I beseech your majesty to allow the young man to wait a few minutes outside. I have some compensation to make to him for the inconvenience he has suffered. The king, smiling, nodded his assent, and Philip left the apartment. Prince, said the king, holding up his forefinger in a threatening manner to his son, "'Tis well for you that you told me nothing but the truth. 
for this time i must pardon your wild scrape but if such a thing happens again you will offend me there will be no excuse for you i must take duke herman in hand myself i shall not be sorry if we can get quit of him as to the ministers of finance and police i must have further proofs of what you say go now and give some present to the gardener he has shown more discretion in your character than you have in his the prince took leave of the king and having changed his dress in an ante-room sent for philip to go to his palace with him there he made him go over word for word everything that had occurred when philip had finished his narrative the prince clapped him on the shoulder and said philip listen you're a sensible fellow i can confide in you and i am satisfied with you what you have done in my name with the chamberlain pilzau and the countess Bernau, the marshal and his wife colonel colt and the minister of finance i will maintain as if i had done it myself but on the other hand you must take all the blame of my doings with the horn and staff as a penalty for verses you shall lose your office of watchman you shall be my head gardener from this date and shall have charge of my two gardens at heimelblum and quithenal the money i gave your bride she shall keep as her marriage portion and i give you the order of marshal blinkensward for five thousand dollars as a mark of my regard go now be faithful and true who could be happier than philip he almost flew to rose's house she had not yet gone to bed but sat with her mother beside the table and was weeping he threw the purse on the table and said rose there is thy dowry and here are five thousand dollars which are mine as a watchman i have transgressed and shall therefore lose my father's situation but the day after to-morrow i shall go as head gardener of prince julian to heimelblen and your mother and rose must go with me my father and mother also i can support you all huzzah god send all good people such a happy new year mother bittner hardly knew whether to believe philip or not notwithstanding she saw the gold but when he told her how it had all happened though with some reservations she wept with joy embraced him laid her daughter on his breast and then danced about the room in perfect ecstasy do thy father and mother know this philip she said and when he answered no she cried rose kindle the fire put over the water and make some coffee for all of us and then she wrapped herself in her little woolen shawl and left the house but rose lay on philip's breast and forgot all about the wood and water and there she yet lay when mother bittner returned with old gottlieb and mother catherine they surrounded their children and blessed them mother bittner saw that if she wanted coffee she would be obliged to cook it herself philip lost his situation as watchman rose became his wife in two weeks their parents went with them to but this does not belong to the adventures of new year's eve a night more ruinous to the minister of finance than any one else neither have we heard of any more pranks by the wild prince julian end of section ten parts ten through fourteen of adventures of new year's eve recording by joseph jones end of stories by foreign authors german authors volume one by various